0: TVT's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, episode 103, in which Robbie Strong, a.k.a. Silence the Aquarian, and I, a.k.a. Pymander Aquarian, interview Barry Taylor. Barry's journey in life has covered things like having been a roadie for ACDC, uh, as well as a Episcopal rector, an Episcopal rector, I should say, and uh, and being uh, Robbie's professor at Fuller University. Small correction there, it's Fuller Seminary, not University. In this episode, we will discuss many things. Uh, not a whole lot esoteric, really, um, but a bit of the kind of spiritual uh, leaning and... Uh, you know, it's sort of existential, philosophical, and political, and current events. Um, so I hope that uh, people who are, are, are esoteric nerd purists um, won't be too disappointed by that. Um, it's a good conversation. I recommend it. And uh, if you're tuning in on YouTube and you stay th- through to the end, now don't skip to the end. That'd be cheating. Uh, but if you if you listen all the way through... There's, uh, there's actually one or two surprises f- just for you guys. If you're listening to this on a podcasting platform or uh, you know from the audio file, um, check out our YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube and search esoteric nerd and it'll say, do you mean esoteric? And you say, no, I mean esoteric nerd. And then uh, hit subscribe. And um, that'd be great. But before we get to all that, as per esoteric nerd podcast tradition, we will have one of our segments. I think today we'll, uh, we'll revisit a bit of the old... Transformations and For those of you who are new to the Esoteric Nerd podcast, the Transformations and Footnotes segment is the segment in which I recite my father's book... Verse by verse, it's divided into chapters and verses. You like the Bible, and uh, the footnotes. I used to I used to have commentary about uh, you know I'd talk about what he said, but I stopped doing that. But it's still called Transformations and footnotes. This is Transformations. Actually, first this is Tangerine Dream. This is Transformations by John Dan Reeb, 1976. Chapter 5, verse 1. Up in the same water system as Sespe Hot Springs, up in Ventura County, there is this place where a creek gets deep, flowing over and by a big rock that you and I both know. Verse 2. You and I remember a time watched a bunch of journeyers and Flesh Place Fear Junkies skinny-dipping there. We were too. Verse 3. Anyhow, one of the Flesh Place Fear Junkies, a guy who was all pinwheel-eyed and belief-stuck about being flaked on acid and making those who weren't wrong, swam and swam and dove and swam and slammed right into the rock. He got a five-point concussion, That's what we call slamming into an agreement. Verse 4. The thing is, we all agreed that the rock was and is there. We all put it there as part of the game board. We even all agreed, including him, that he would have and exercise the option to swim and dive and swim and slam into it. Verse 5. That's the thing about the Flesh Place and several other levels and places, in slightly different ways, usually, though not always exactly. Significance is now optional, and agreements, at least the solid ones we agreed to call permanent, relatively so still, are not always optional. Verse 6. Drugs get Flesh Place fear junkies and journeyers, Confused about agreements, like gravity, and what happens on this level when you jump unaugmented by parachutes or something off tall buildings and buses hurting when they hit you and stuff like that. Verse 7. That's on this level. What's so on other levels is terribly so there as well. It works to keep the agreements straight, it does not work to get them confused. It works to remember which level or levels you're operating on. It does not work to forget. Yes, of course. You and I both know that it is possible to operate on more than one level at once. Possible. Hell, we do it all the time. It's just that we're focused on one or the other specifically, more than the others we're on at any given point. Verse 8. The theoretical physicists are just finding out, or so they think. Some of them may even be realizing that they are remembering. That's when it really gets to be fun, unless they think it's a soap opera. In the flesh place, even boohoo's way underneath are fun. Verse 9. Now, some literal-minded flesh place fear junkies are going to think that you and I condone doing negative things because way underneath it's all fun. Not so. First, what goes around comes around. Second, it's Kali Yuga O'Clock. Now I think we'll have some footnotes this time. Uh, yeah, that part. I mean, uh, okay, I read this book after he died. He was I had just turned 16. I think after maybe a month or two, when you're that age and going through something like that, time goes much more uh, slowly. Um, so it seemed like a long time, but I, I got his book, Transformations, uh, there was only ever three physical copies, as far as I know. Maybe there were a few others that he gave away, but I don't know about them. Um, so this book had an effect on me. It was the words of him having just passed beyond the veil. And uh, his words of advice, I think when I think back on when I was sixteen and seventeen and eighteen, I didn't definitely didn't dive in. A lot of my some of my friends were kind of getting into the rave scene, and uh, I I was always hesitant to get too far into any of that. But I did eventually experiment with uh, LSD and uh, some other psychedelics, and um, so yeah, I definitely have a different approach toward my life path than the one that my dad had or the one that he seemed to be recommending in his book but i feel like it's not for me to poo-poo what he's saying um part of me just kind of wants to stand back and just let it stand on its own but on the other hand i don't want uh y'all to think that i'm just you know proclaiming these words and then going on to the interview without kind of chiming in a little bit and uh, you know i have to give credit where credit is due if it weren't for DMT. I don't know if I would be living in India right now. Um, That kind of reminds me of if it weren't for my horse, I don't know if I would have spent that year in college. You remember from Lewis Black? Anyway. Uh, But, uh, yeah, enough about all that, and I think I've spoken about that on previous episodes. Um, So, without further ado... uh, Now, normally, we would bring in the co-host and then do, without further ado, and then do Camille and Kennerly playing Game of Thrones... Um, as the actual episode proper starts with the interviewee. Today is going to be a little bit different. I'll explain. Firstly, Game of Thrones in 2015, when I started this podcast, pod, uh, was it 2016 or 2015? Anyway, whenever I started this podcast, Game of Thrones was still widely considered to be the best thing ever made for any kind of screen. Um, at that time, it was that was how it was looked at. And Oh, we all remember. We were all there. We all know what happened. So when I was making Esoteria Nerd, I uh, opted to use that harp cover of Game of Thrones for the intro and outro to the episode because it was so cool. But uh, sadly, uh, it is not cool anymore. <laughs> so uh, everybody, you can check out Camille and Kennerly on YouTube. Um you know find out who they are i've been using their music for years uh if you're a fan of this uh, podcast then you know do yourself a favor and check out their uh their channel and if there is a cover of something i was looking for like the expanse or something pretty cool but i uh, what i what i went with for now is lord of the rings so we're going to have a little bit of them playing the harp as usual but it's not it's not game of thrones it's lord of the rings because lord of the rings is cool i mean you know Maybe not every aspect of every movie in that series, and certainly not the Hobbit movies. But, but you know, Fellowship of the Ring, you know. Okay, so uh, the other thing is we were having some technical difficulties because we had Robbie up in Alaska with uh, not the greatest internet connection, and we had the interviewee in the UK. There was some confusion about what time we were supposed to do it. And so it's a little bit jumbled in the beginning, so there isn't actually a clear-cut point where, um, you know, the the interviewer, the interviewee comes in before the co-host comes back, and so everything's a big jumbled mess. So rather than bring in Robbie and then eventually say, without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? I'm going to go ahead and say, without further ado, let's get to that co-host introduction and then the interview, shall we?
1: Fratter. Can you hear are me? Are you recording? Yeah.
0: <laughs> We're in the part of the episode
1: where I introduced my co-host. Okay, you might have to edit some of this out then. Oh yeah, no problem.
2: How are <laughs> you doing? I haven't
1: I haven't, I'm doing pretty good. Just kind of a frustrating morning. And it's it's cold and rainy. And when it's um, when it's raining at 40 degrees, it's a lot colder than when it's snowing at 20 degrees.
0: Raining at 40, colder than um, snowing. Oh, because so, of the water. See.
1: Yeah. Yeah. because <laughs> um, snow is, you know, it's nice <laughs> I imagine and dry, there's it's some fluffy. wind involved. All right, huh? let me try to send this to after I do this. I'm gonna go up to the wood, the wood shop where it's a little warmer, and I'm gonna see if um I can get connection there. If not, I'm just gonna grab an extra layer and do it on the on the porch there. Nice. You saw the Aurora Borealis. Um, Oh, my goodness. That's wild. Let me get settled and I'll I'll tell you all about it. Yeah. I'm going to run up to the woodshop here. Uh...
2: A few minutes later. Hello. Hello, how are you?
0: I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Robbie is uh, doing something he's he's going to the wood shed or something where he'll have better connection we're just doing uh uh just for the sake of bandwidth uh we're doing only uh but i i feel like i should yeah so this is what i look like
2: hi and where are you i'm in goa india oh okay yeah. And how long, do you live there? Or are you stuck there? Or uh, no,
0: no, I I, I moved here. Um, well, first, I was traveling. I ended up here in 2018. Uh, I met a, a beautiful woman. And uh, well, you know, now I'm uh, living here and married. And uh, but prior to that, I was a yoga instructor. And uh, prior to that, I was, uh, you know, a, uh, an office drone at uh, in the Screen Actors Guild. So I spent 10 years kind of observing the the entertainment industry and all of its you know yeah. <laughs> but I but I had that job that job I got accidentally I, I never intended to work in the entertainment industry in any capacity so that you know someone offered me a job and it paid better than other jobs I could get at the sure. time so but then uh, you know after 10 years of that I got sick of it and decided to start you know shaping my own destiny rather than just letting life happen to me and i thought that uh yoga and meditation would be a good place to start great and do you like
1: it yeah
0: yeah i do i um we've built our our nest here i i see you can see my obligatory youtuber bookshelf behind me um and uh yeah i shipped everything over here and it's yeah i mean uh india as a whole i mean it there's a lot there's a lot going on yeah, yeah. from place to place Goa specifically is uh it's culturally very welcoming and uh it's very catholic it's sort of like brazil that way it's like a yeah. little
2: a lot of portuguese people right yeah
0: yeah and uh and it just i mean they they were they were portuguese even through the uh indian independence and the yeah you know all this probably and uh so so yeah i mean uh it's the local people are, are very friendly and it's, and it's already diverse. It's diverse in itself. And then there's all the foreigners. And so it's very diverse and depending on the the neighborhood. And uh, so I'm in one of the neighborhoods where there's more foreigners, but uh, these days, of course, there's fewer. The most of the ones that are here are stuck here or they live here. They're in my same, same shoes, you know. Oh, that's really cool. So you're in, you're in UK?
2: Yeah, I live in London now. I lived in Los Angeles for thirty-four years, mm. but I moved back here three three years ago. Nice. So, although I'm from, I, I live in London, I'm not from London. I grew up in the countryside near Cambridge. Okay, but um, I had I, I had ties to London, so um, it felt like a place to come to kind of re. I don't know, rejigger. Yeah. <laughs> rejigger my life. I haven't quite worked that out. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, taking the, control of it. it kind of sometimes yeah, it, it just, to, Yeah, it was just time for it was just time for things to change. So yeah, good growing
0: about. up in LA, I was in LA from the time I was born until a few years ago. And I felt like, you know, when, when you leave potatoes in the in the pantry and you forget about them yeah. for a few months. Yeah. I felt like that very much. Like uh, I just had too many roots. Oh, he's writing to me. Let me see um so yeah it was really nice oh okay he's trying to get in let me see what i can do here send an invite so i'm going to switch back to audio only because the recording will be better yeah no worries. how long have you been doing a podcast well i uh i first started this podcast in 2015 and uh you know how things change and evolve life changes and evolves um so that was six years ago gosh uh originally it was sort of focused on golden dawn specific uh hermeticism kabbalah that kind of thing and but then started bringing in other elements i have a personal interest in buddhism especially vajrayana and uh well and uh, zen and um so yeah so it became sort of eclectic but always kind of you know hovering around the general center of uh of golden dawn are you you're familiar with uh, the the hermetic order the golden dawn of london 1800s yeah 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 so that kind of thing it, i was in a reenactment of that when i was a kid i mean you know from the time i was a teenager until a few years ago and uh that was one one reason i i left you know la behind and got as far away as possible <laughs> i i uh, left the cult you know so um, so that was around the time I started the podcast was uh, part of my recovery. And I, I, as a, a place where other people can kind of come on. And at the time, there were a few people that were sort of afraid to talk, or they, they thought that someone was going to come after them if they admitted that they, uh, if, you know, went through weird things. And so, sure. so that was kind of the main purpose of it in the beginning. Um, and of course, in the years since then, the podcast has gone all kinds of different directions and yeah. So, you know, um, now it's, I, I just told Robbie, you know, you're my co-host, what, whoever you think could be a good guest, you know,
2: invite them. So. <laughs> and, and Rob's in uh, Alaska now, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's having a wild time
0: and still working because oh, he's working from home. Oh, is that right?
2: I yeah, about that. He's
0: putting in 40 hours a week in the jungle. Well, in the tundra. Yeah. Yeah that's so crazy.
2: <laughs> now
0: where is that guy? He's having a rough time. I think uh, his internet connection isn't so good where he's at. Maybe yeah, must be, I guess. So I, I understand you used to have a connection with ACDC
2: many years ago. Yeah, I uh, my my sort of early early meanderings in life were in the music business, so I was uh, sort of you know roadie sound engineer person for a long time and i worked for acdc for you know a few years which years um from like the late 70s into the start of the 80s wow what a time sort of golden years for them yeah gosh um yeah sort of lifetime ago Hmm. you know different different life um one of those things that you do and then move (laughs) move on from you know what i mean (laughs) yeah but uh, it, was a, it was a good way to. Uh, it was a great way to be able to go out and see the world. Actually, is really what it was mostly great for. Yeah, I better mean, other than I, joining I, the
0: army or something.
2: Exactly. But also, you know, quite a lot of fun. But uh, wasn't something. I mean, I, I I really got involved in the music business because I like to. I like to travel, and it was a great way to get paid and travel, and then have money to do your own traveling afterwards. So that was kind of the real. I mean. I've always been involved in music in one form or another. Mm. so That that was a great way to kind of um, get out of a small country place in England.
0: Yeah, wow. How long was it between those years and the rector years?
2: Um, Well, it was a sort of, um, it was a bit of a crossover. I Mm. mean, um, there were um, part, I mean, part of, Part of getting out of the music business was connected to kind of wanting to explore other aspects of life. And I'd always kind of been interested in philosophy and stuff like that. Less so religion, actually. Mm. And uh, the the religion thing was, I can't say it was a surprise because obviously it was a decision that I made. But um, it wasn't, I, I, I was, ne- I, I was never and have never been on a search for God, (laughs) right? (laughs) So um, the the religious um, thing was I I, 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 I don't know if it came as a surprise, but I I think I was surprised that I was as interested as I was in in what was happening inside religion. But I also think that you know uh, with a few few more years to think about it that that really um i've always been interested in in the kind of sociological and cultural aspects of religion as well you know what what it what it represents beyond just the practice of a particular form of faith but you know connected to sort of the search for ultimacy or transcendence or the search for meaning you know, and the, and the myriad ways that people take for in life and how culturally and socially shaped those, those things are. And, 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 I, and I was very interested in the kind of impact of societal change on religious belief itself mm. in general, you know, the way yeah. people... The yeah, way at least people in the affect. Episcopal Church. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and I was, you know, I mean, the Episcopal Church was a small piece of a larger involvement in various forms of Christianity um, that were in some ways dogmatically or theologically or doctrinally similar, but, you mm-hmm. know, expressing themselves in, in, in uh, different ways. So part of, it was, part of it was kind of almost anthropological yeah and then the other part is just really um i don't know you spend an awful lot of your life digging into something and and it it still feels that there are things to uh be looked at you know i mean my 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 relationship to many things religious has changed quite dramatically over the last number of years just in terms of how I think about things and what I think about things and um, what I think about how I used to think about things, you know, and, and all, all of those kind of, those changing things. So it, it's still kind of a bit of a work in progress. And, I, and I'm still not necessarily trying, in fact, I, I'm probably more adamantly not trying to find um, God on any level particularly. I just think that the it, it's a kind of work in progress kind of interesting idea to play around and it still holds um currency in the world in you know one form or another even in in the west which especially europe which tends to regard itself as kind of post-religious which it really isn't but Mm. right um yeah so and that sort of I, i i sort of realized probably, well, you know, you look back at your life and you see things a lot more clearly than you did at the time. But I was, even before I got involved in the music business, just, I was always interested in um, philosophy and um, ideas about what it means to be human. And that's really my, my, my real interest is the opportunities and the challenges of being human and the role that, that things like religion particularly plays in the um plays in plays in that dynamic, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the very the various ways that people um go after go after that and what what they might be looking for when they're looking for religion, which I don't think is always, I, I sometimes think we're chasing things. And we don't know what we're chasing, you know. And religion—we think we're chasing religion, but we're chasing something else inside of us that religion we think might, you know, fill that hole, if it's a hole, you know. You know what I mean, or whatever it is. So, it's—I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm waffling a little bit, but um, no, no, yeah.
0: In a way, uh, the uh, the the ACDC concert and the uh, you know the uh, the church both kind of have their roots in that ancient Greek Dionysian uh, Ecclesia.
2: You know, there are lots of, um, I mean, the way religions emerge and the, and the way they develop and how they develop, I think is sort of, it, it's kind of fascinating, you know, and. Uh,
0: did you have like a grandparent that took you to church as a kid or?
2: I, I did have, a um, well, I mean, very, very sporadically, I did have one. One uh, my paternal was uh, a bit of a church girl. She wasn't there for because she didn't like it. Is that the Rector? Hey, he made it! Hey Rector.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad to walk in on a conversation between Friday BT and Professor BT.
2: <laughs> How are I'm you, a- Rob? Right? I'm
1: I'm I'm quite uh a cold um but it's lovely. I'm looking at this Alaskan lake. There's uh, normally snow-capped mountains I could see just on the other side of that. Uh, in order to stay connected, I'm having to, um, I'm kind of working as a sort of a personal assistant for a woman for three weeks who's moving, selling her cabin. And it It gave me a magnificent chance to see the uh, the Tongass wilderness.
2: Wow. Oh, that's what you're doing um, up
1: there. That is, that is being logged at a At an alarming rate, I might add. I've seen some of the clear-cut forests, and it's pretty gruesome.
2: Wow, that's amazing. It looks pretty beautiful on your Instagram.
1: It is. It's it's the most magical place I've ever been. I will live here someday, as my soul lives. So what have I missed on the discourse so far, fellas? (laughs) (laughs) We just got to know each other a little bit,
0: at first with the cameras and then without. And uh, then, uh, you know, I told him how I ended up in Goa. And uh, what the podcast used to be about and kind of what it's about now, uh, which is sort of not really clearly defined. <laughs> That's always a good
2: <laughs> Yeah, I you think so. Up. It's Barry, just a catchy
0: title at this point. Yeah.
1: The reason I've been dying to talk to you, Barry Taylor, uh, very honored, Ed, mm-hmm. is I was a teaching assistant in grad school for, for all the classes that were related to postmodernism. Mm. And And a and a and a frequent uh, topic of conversation was the idea of an epistemological crisis, and uh, where uh, like uh, there was a philosopher who wrote a book called "Whose Truth and Whose Rationality," um, kind of implying this this coming crisis of incommensurability of discourse, where people would be speaking completely different languages and working with completely different data sets, and Never did I imagine back then when I was his teaching assistant that the epistemological crisis would, would, would end up with like a, a kind of a cold civil war uh, hmm. in America with, with one side literally fomenting an armed insurrection and trying to uh, kill Congress people. Hmm. And Barry, <laughs> what are your thoughts on, on the whole postmodern thing about epistemology and, and where we've landed?
2: Well, I mean, I, I, I think that um, the whole, I mean, I, I think it's a very <laughs> complex scenario because as with most things, there are so many factors that co- that come into play because the whole, I mean, I, I, in the last few years, my, my real sort of focus has been um, the impact of digitality on um, mm-hmm. religion and stuff like that and um, the way in which you know you you have these kind of echo chambers of um, you know I- ideological echo chambers mm-hmm. where um, your audience is essentially people of like mind who who want affirmation of what they what they hold to be true, <laughs> and the whole idea that um, you know it must be true because a certain group of people believe it's true, mm. um, and, and and for me, um, I, I I I'm not surprised that we've got here. I'm just surprised at maybe at the speed by which we got here, and the the level yeah. of animosity. That drives the conversations now. You know the mm. the, the way in which you, you sense um, that those kind of truth claims are almost like uh, well, I think in, in a very Freudian way, they're they're not they're not <laughs> they're false subjects of desire. It's not really about that at all. It's about you know deep seated frustration. Right. Yeah. And, it's a, and, like a
0: territorialism of reality itself.
2: Yeah, and uh, and you know this whole back and Yikes. forth, you know what's true and what's not true. Um, I, I mean, I, I, for a start, I don't think you can confine truth to sort of propositions anyway. I, I think you can sort of encounter truth in lots of different ways, and it doesn't always have to be propositional. Um, but interesting. And um, you know, I mean, I I, I think you can find. Uh, I, I you do believe in scientific
1: truth, though, right? Like you know, the uh, good old fashioned dialectical materialism—the stuff you can measure. Oh, absolutely! So re- uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that, I, I, uh, not, 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 that uh, deserves some uh, privileged position of truth because it's verifiable yeah, by the saying, most the saying, of people.
2: Saying, oh, I'm 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 not defending. Um, the the madness that gets that gets portrayed as truth. I just the argument about truth is often reduced to kind of propositional equations. And I think it's a bit more complicated than that because I think you know you can you can discover truths. I, I think in some ways you can find truth in a in a in a in a story. <laughs> um, in a mustard it, seed. Yeah it's not factual it's but it carries a truth but the problem is is we've got people that believe bullshit is true I mean you know there's this really interesting thing I don't know if you saw this but the the woman who was um Trump's lead lawyer in the election challenges who's being sued for a definite, mm-hmm. whatever it is by that computing company basically said yesterday that um, any <laughs> would know that she wasn't uh, basically uh, trying to state facts when she said all that stuff about the elections. So she's sort of claiming- <laughs> Because that she's that. such
0: a liar that she can't be yeah, held to she's being, basically telling the
2: truth. She's basically saying that anybody with common sense would have known that she wasn't telling the truth. But the fact of the matter it is, it's a whole bunch My of- My God. People. Yeah, I mean, it's a, an insane argument, which- um, you know, really, I think, demonstrates the whole challenge. So the boy who cried
0: wolf is allowed to shout fire at a crowded theater, but nobody else is. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> You're supposed to know um, that, you know, there was a fight, <laughs> yeah.
1: Barry, one what, what of the things that I, one of the strange recursions that I've kind of seen uh, that I saw traces of in the discourses we had with some of the more conservative people at Fuller you probably remember some of those spicy discourses and at the time it seemed so innocuous yeah who would have thought that it would lead to fist fighting in the street but uh, but there was this this sort of thing that people that were kind of stuck at the concrete operational level of cognitive processing yeah. would come up against and in, in regards to uh the ideal of relativism and that really freaked them out mm. that that truth could be relative and they would often say well if truth is relative, then I could go kill your grandma. There'd be nothing wrong with it. How would you judge the basis of morality? It just and and it's almost like they were so baffled with post postmodernism postmodern ideas that they sort of took it and said, "Okay, well we're going to be postmodern then," but did it in a really shitty way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's almost
1: it's almost performance art what these people have done. I mean, it's almost performance art, and that's that's the kind of language they use when they speak of. Uh, This sort
2: of a, my own truth,
1: subjective truth or whatever,
2: and it's also very, uh, not you know, it's also very naive interpretations of things because, sort of the postmodern notion of relativity, isn't the reduction of every you know, it's not, um, it's not the reduction of everything to a to a a sort of level playing field, you know, it's. it's much more, co- again, I, I hate to use the word again, but, but there is a sort of complexity and multiplicity um, in the, the whole idea um, of, uh, I, I mean, I think really that the charge that that postmodernism is about relativism is a straw man. I actually think mm. that, that, that postmodernism was really actually about paying close attention to detail. And uh, gaining a sense for the complexity and, and multiplicity and contradiction inherent in uh, everything, you know, you know what I mean, um, and um, and sensitivity to, to to difference, and and I think the problem with um, the the kind of conservative religious. Um, world is that it wants to colonize difference and make everything uniform so any any attendant difference is always you know you have to eradicate it or colonize it and usually um uh and usually they they want to eradicate it you know in in defense of supposed capital t truth you know and it gets very um and again, I think that's, I remember once, I think it might have been after you, uh, Rob, but um, mm-hmm. I I realized that, um, I didn't, I sort of half knew it anyway, but I realized a lot of people weren't reading the the literature that we were um, assigning, really yeah. just skimming the surface or reading the cover. And you started to see <laughs> that, that what you got back from people was was really the the sort of um, consensual illusion about what postmodernism might have been rather than actually a close reading of a particular person's text so that you would understand what they were actually saying. There was no digging into it. there was just reaction. you know somebody said, Oh, this means this. So you know postmodernism is all about relativity and we stand for absolute truth. so therefore just attack it with it all. I mean, I remember once, um, again, I don't know if you were mm-hmm. there, on, but um, I was teaching this class on um, theology and culture. And, and I basically, my, my, my,
1: Those were fun classes, man. Oh
2: yeah. my goodness. I, I, Yeah, you were there. And, and I think um, there was this, I, I was talking about the fact that when we, when we talk about things, we have to consider what we speak about after, you know, so if you're going to talk about, you know, um, the human psyche. We speak about we speak about the human self after Freud. You don't have to agree or disagree with Freud, but you have to acknowledge that part of our understanding of the human self or the mind or stuff shifts when when Freud and, and his peers come along and begin a, a, a new discussion about the nature of the self. And and I said the same is true hmm. with like Darwin. You know, we we talk about. Um, we talk about origins of the world after Darwin, and that's a conversation changer. Again, you may not agree with um, you know, the origin of the species or, or, or his particular theory of evolution. You might want to hold to a creation story or something like that, but you have to consider um, that we speak about these things with, after, after, after Darwin or something like that. And I remember this guy, just went crazy, basically, acting <laughs> about evolution and this and that, and all the other. And I just stopped him and, and I said, Well, have you ever read The Origin on the Origin of the Species? And he went, No. <laughs> and I asked the entire class, and there were about 80 people in the class, and not one person had actually uh-huh. ever read it. And I was like, Well, until you've read it, you actually cannot say much about it. You just, you
1: <laughs> that's just, a that's actually a very kind and generous way to approach those kind of bellicose people. Very I'm impressed. Well, the, I mean, there's no. I the, tend to cuss a lot more.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I cuss, but 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 um, I, <laughs> I, I, but
0: I also it's annoying know, when the when the ran folks say it, but uh, I like it when you say it.
2: <laughs> oh my god well you, you know, can't I mean, criticize good,
0: it unless you've read all our books right?
2: <laughs> uh, well you know because the the and the reason I, I i was saying that is because particularly within the the lives of most of the students that i was engaging in largely from sort of conservative or benignly something you know evangelical christian there's right. mm-hmm. such an anti-evolutionary thread right that's informed by misinformation because you just go back and nobody's ever read it. Now, I actually think that, uh, you know, having read On the Origin of the Species, because I believe that you should read, <laughs> you know, or make you. Yeah. I mean, a horrible book, you know. Imagine that. You know, it's not like a fantastic <laughs> book to read. So I understand why someone wouldn't read it. But if you haven't read it, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but- I don't know if That's thing. fair. That's totally no, fair. Yeah, you it's an adult yeah. podcast. And I'm not saying that you have to, you know, know everything there is to know about the theory of evolution to talk about it. But in the context of uh, a graduate school where technically... And how, did,
1: how did the boy? How did the man respond when you, uh, when um, you I, said I that, you know, fairly clear
2: proposition? Basically got pissed off and mm-hmm. went quiet. I'd uh,
0: recommend Tellier Desjardins first and then once they've gotten that then then move
2: on to Origin of the Species. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My my point was um I think and I think I said Origin of the Species because I actually it was the 150th anniversary of Darwin uh, of that book when I was teaching. Right I remember that and I had a I had a, a special edition copy so that's why I was talking about it but you know um so I, I, I think what's, what happens a lot in, in mm-hmm. our culture at the moment, and it's even more so now with social media and the various platforms, mm-hmm. is that misinformation just builds upon misinformation. <coughs> and, you know, um, the conspiracy theories just multiply and um, it gets kind of crazy. I don't know if you've seen um, oh go ahead uh you used a phrase earlier uh
1: related to colonization of was it like colonization of
2: difference oh, of or, other cultures what was
1: the phrase you? Used?
2: yeah i i i, I think we, I, I i think i said that um people um want to colonize difference and you in, mm-hmm. uh, in order oh, to nice difference. In order to uh, negate it or, or to diffuse its, its like how the, the
0: the early church did with you know Saint, with Bridget and all these other pagan things and these days you have uh, the big corporations trying to look hip and indie you know and and uh, yeah. the same, yeah, same basic mean, idea or Constantine yeah. painting shield painting you know painting Jesus on all of his shields
2: yeah I mean there's there are always those uh, ways in which we we deal with what threatens us by attempting to subjugate it in some way or another, and um, and I, and I think for um, a lot of um, conservative Christians, I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe I just shouldn't even use conservative for a lot. Of the Christians.
0: evangelicals, like yeah, the American a,
2: evangelical movement, It's just a a, a a sense in which. Everybody is your enemy, you know. Again, it's based on misinterpretations of things. So, people, um, you have to um, you see everything as a threat, and particularly if there's a counter thesis or an idea or a theory that threatens your take on what you've been told is. the absolute truth of reality which in of itself is a joke because um it's all we're all just stabbing in the dark you know trying to trying to get <laughs> some shape to existence that that we can live with you know so we can hold it together but um at best know, it's it, a
1: controlled fall
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I think you're right i, I mean and i think and, and and the the invitation to sort of um Uncertainty and, and complexity and contradiction is very difficult for some people to come to terms with, you know. And and, and in our time, it seems there's such a reduction of um, ideas down to these kind of manageable sound bites. So everybody trades in kind of sound bite versions of reality that yeah. all sounds good on paper. Strongly, yeah. Yeah, but creates.
1: So would you, say, would you say then that the people who are, who are taking these soundbites of Christianity and weaponizing them, would you say that rather than try to pull them away from their narrative, you would try to push them deeper into their narrative then? Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out nonviolent mimetic ways of dealing with these people because here's why I am, Barry. This is, this is what's happened to me the past year. This is why I'm in Alaska, basically. Yeah. Um, it's come down to fist fights that I have been engaged in in the street yeah. with Christo fascists um, who uh, who belligerently uh, proclaim the police heroes who are regularly gunning down,, yeah. my, uh, my comrades in the street, my unarmed black comrades. Yeah. And uh, the past <laughs> the past year, it has been literally, in order to defend my comrades, getting out of the line and just going toe to toe with the cops, taking a rubber bullet, um, getting thrown in the San Bernardino County Jail um, by cops who are just overtly racist and laughing your face when they throw you in there. Uh, and, uh, and my own parents vote for these kind of people, and it's become very personal for me because of that. Yeah. Because I love my parents and I feel like, I feel like they've been kidnapped by some psychopath who's feeding them this bullshit. And, yeah. and um, so here I am getting a literal fights with, with fascists, you know, and taking bullets from, from racist cops, or at least cops who are just neoliberal, pathetic people who uh, don't care that we literally have, don't care that we've already crossed the line to uh, climate change irreversibility. My friends at uh, JPL uh, Antarctica station—they they, they crunch the numbers over and over and over, and they've shaken their heads about it. There's literally a 50% chance that the human race will go extinct within 100 years, and it's 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 not just climate irreversibility, and mass migrations. It's 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 complete nobody left to read the books we spend our our whole lives writing. Yeah, and Knowing that, knowing that the corporations that are destroying our planet, like behind the fascists, this is what I'm kind of figuring out the deeper I dig. Uh, The fascists aren't, they're just the front line enemies. The people who are really the generals are these corporations who are raping and pillaging the earth and tricking these ignorant fascists to play football in high school and couldn't get past Algebra one uh into, into all these people from the big city that are always making them feel inferior and doing that weaponizing their own inferiority and their own sense of cultural shame especially in the south where there's this whole strange deeply psychoanalytic uh shame that's still related to uh the first yeah. Civil War, where the same goddamn thing happened. The rich plantation owners uh, would talk their little cousins who lived in a shack somewhere off property into going and fight for the glory of Dixie. And, yeah. and it's yeah. the same goddamn thing happened again. We're turning people like my family into cannon fodder for people like me who are punching them in the street. <laughs> and yeah. I would like to figure out a nonviolent way to deal with this because it's wearing me out.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> on the subject of complexity, I mean, I, I, I do think that you know, the, the, the tragedy is that we we have, um, I, I think, a couple of things really kind of messed up, a couple, you know. I mean, if you think about, um, so you, you think about the the people who you know are against Black Lives Matter or um, mm-hmm. you know they want they want to stop immigration which you know is happening here in in Britain as well um, and you know yeah. they've got a thing here what's going on here too yeah they want to they want to um, you know you have these populist presidents or, or leaders of countries who appeal to the sort of basic inti- instinct, instinct and to people's insecurity, and they create these myths of what the problem is, you know, rather than addressing the deep-seated anxiety that people are feeling about the loss of, you know, particular ways of life. I mean, the fact of the matter is America, for instance, has been an immigrant society since its beginning, and the, the influx even of illegal immigrants is not a problem for the U.S. Um, to handle. It's just been weaponized or demonized and made to be
1: the um, sort exactly.
2: of fall guy for deeper social problems, the world has changed quite dramatically. And Trump, you know, and like, I'm gonna bring back coal mining, you know? And it's like, well, no, you're not really, but you sold people all, you know, <laughs> I'm going to bring back the steel belt, you know, we need American steel and all that kind of stuff. And um, people whose lives were built around those, those locations and those areas and those stories, they, they, their, their, uh, their anxieties are addressed by creating these um, external forces that are to blame, which allows people then to continue doing um the same thing because the problem in in the u.s isn't just that uh u.s steel has been eclipsed eclipsed by you know chinese steel it's because uh, uh america has outsourced most of its um production because we value corporate wealth over personal well-being and uh yeah you know you you have um and you have and then you you have the weird things like um we love automation but you know automation means less people so you know uh, in industries where it used to take you know 14 people to build a car now it's six people and three robots and soon it'll be four robots and one person just to make sure the robots are running you know what I mean and then you have. 13 unemployed people you need to multiply that over and over and over and you can understand the anxiety but instead of really sort of trying to address these social issues in radical in radical ways that really address the base issues of what goes on the the world just revolves around this idea you know, I mean, there's that that classic line, I don't know who it came from, Zizek, Mark Fisher, you know, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is the end of capitalism, you know. And yes. We've we've convinced ourselves that there is no way to have um, democracy without capitalism. And it's not, and, and, and actually, I'm not as against the idea of capitalism as I am against the particular forms of capitalism. I love you anyway, Barry. No, well, no, no I mean the, the particular forms of capitalism that we've fallen into—consumer capitalism—and you know, the yeah. the forms of industrial capitalism that allow for the growing disparity of um, wealth inequality around the world. You know what I mean? The the erosion of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the erosion of the middle class, which is non—really sort of non-existent in, uh, yeah the West now. I mean, I know India's got an emerging middle class, but um, I think that's probably going to be a short-lived thing as well, you know, because the way the world is, the concentration of wealth is increasingly in a smaller and smaller and smaller number of people. And it seems that our governments just want to keep serving that um, rather than the well-being of the people. In the meantime, they keep people, I think, distracted by it, it, erroneous ideas, you know, like it's all problems with the immigration, or it's all the EU's fault over here. You know, we blame the EU for mm-hmm. everything, um, and uh, and quietly become more isolationist and nationalistic. And uh, and I realize you know there are problems. Yeah. What's,
1: what's your take? What's your take on that issue as a Brit? Uh, I haven't talked. That's another thing I haven't talked to you since the whole. Uh, it's. Uh, it's. Met- you guys had your own sort of Donald Trump, same haircut and all, right?
2: Yeah, we still got we still we still got one, um, and you know, I, I think it's the same story. People are buying into an idea. Now, I'm I I I am pro European, not because I think the EU is a fantastic uh, entity. I think it's got some serious problems. Um, and it's, it's a bit like a lot of franchises, it, it expanded too quickly, oh. too big for its own boots, mm. and bureaucratically can't, can't deal with what it needs to deal with. But the idea of wow. uh, a, a block of countries working together with a common uh, economic and social goals, why, why would anybody argue with that? You know what I mean? That's gotta be better than being by yourself. Yeah. Uh, this idea that you can float free and be independent in an interconnected, globally interconnected world like ours that depends on um, somewhere else for pretty much everything that we have. And and while we might hope that we're all going to get back to a kind of more localized and sustainable way of living, that's not going to happen uh, in, in a particular hurry, and that's gonna take something that we're gonna to have to work towards. So why you wanna disconnect from um, those, what I think is in, in many ways can be very positive lifelines is just beyond me. So over here, you know, we've got this rising nationalism, you know, like what it means to be British. They've got a big thing about flags going on, The British have never been flag wavers. And now they're like, they're government (laughs) government buildings to have a flag every single day it's like for god's sake you know um, in the occult in the current
1: world we consider flags to be magical sigils that that program people
2: (laughs) of course well they do put that i mean they do because they are symbolic of you know they're 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 semiotic i mean they're science and uh they they Mm -hmm. create worlds and um and they make huge ideological statements, and you know they want to fly the flag government the buildings every day now. Uh, you know, we forgot. You know, what good does that do when you just lost one hundred and twenty-six thousand of your citizens to a virus because you wouldn't act uh, in their best interests because it wasn't economically smart at the time? There's your problem. Hey, how,
1: a how's helpful. how's the virus working in Britain? oh sorry
2: uh, well i mean the if if there's been a saving grace it's been the vaccine which mm-hmm. seems to have, um both lowered it's definitely lowered hospitalizations and deaths and it remains to be seen whether it's a long term thing or a short term thing but you know we're still in we're still in lockdown this is our third lockdown um there talking about things opening up in the next couple of months. But basically today is the one year anniversary of our first lockdown. Mm-hmm. And apart from about six weeks in the last year, we've locked down ever since.
0: You guys don't have so the that, of cowboys that. with guns demanding that they get a haircut?
1: <laughs> no,
0: we,
2: we we there are in, you know, the world is very different, so there's a lot of you know. There are more like anti anti mask people, anti vax people, anti COVID people. You know, um, riding high on conspiracy theories. You know, yeah. worried about Bill Gates and the microchip. Um, you know, whether having a vaccine. I think you know they're the actually enjoying people. that same
0: community spirit we were talking about with the concerts and the churches. The QAnon you know they're having such yeah. a euphoric collective orgasm or they were they now they're in sort of the disappointment
1: that's interesting because that's real. the uh yeah that's mm-hmm. the emotional I mean, what, payoff of being part of something like that for those people I think
2: mm-hmm. yeah I don't know if, if uh you're any either of you are familiar with the filmmaker Adam Curtis
0: what does he made? Mm-hmm.
2: Right. He's Adam Curtis. He's a documentary filmmaker um, who works for the BBC. Mm, um, I might be. He basically uses um, archive footage from the very extensive BBC archives to make these really um, interesting emotional documentaries. And he just, um, a couple of weeks ago, released uh, an eight hour, six part series called Can't Get You Out of My Head. And it's about how we got here. Um, and he called it an emotional journey to how we got here. And it's an exploration of all kinds of things, um, not the least of which were two of the major things, are uh, the, the way that uh, a kind of um, isolationist nationalism began in Britain, the 1930s and has grown over the way, but the really interesting thing By Henry VIII, really Yeah, but but contemporary (laughs) isolationism (laughs) Isolationism But the really interesting thing had to do with um, conspiracy theories and um, do you know are you aware of this thing called Operation Mindfuck? I don't think so Um, Is it related to QAnon? Well here's where, here's how it's related to QAnon it was a couple of guys okay. in the 1970s who wanted to see if they could create a conspiracy theory out of a story that they planted that they wrote for playboy magazine on the bavarian illuminati
1: mm. oh god
2: and that is the seed of the qanon conspiracy 50 years are you talking to.
1: about robert anton wilson
2: well he it's no he wasn't the architect of 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 that um that thing but it was another guy that um but yeah so um they put this story in in uh playboy just to see what would happen with a a, a fake story planted in a in a um in a journal and
1: just um, just to see if people actually read the articles
2: just to see what would happen with a fake story to see how people would respond to it. And of course, we know how people respond to those stories and how increasingly through the age of technology, um, more and more people subscribe to these weird and wondrous theories that are detached from, you know, larger, larger realities yeah. and, and and live in these little um, worlds so i mean it's i think conspiracy theories are are fascinating because they they're they're very interesting how they how they work and and what they generate and what they don't you know there's always part of the story that um isn't uh you know it's like if they sort of so in the current sort of QAnon thing you know you've got this global cabal of you know left-wing democrats and hollywood celebrities who apparently run this you know child sex trafficking ring from a pizza hut in new jersey or wherever it is if they said if they said you know it was a group of lizard people doing this you know aliens from another planet people wouldn't buy it Mm -hmm. because there's an element of a conspiracy theory that has to be attached to a sort of seemingly logical uh, there has to be a, like, a seemingly logical component to it that allows people to. I've heard screenwriters. I've
1: heard screenwriters. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah.
2: I've
1: heard screenwriters exactly. refer to that as a, an important method.
2: Yeah, you have to have, you, you have, people have to be able to hang their anxiety on, and I think that's what it is. I think conspiracy theories are at their heart. Um, mechanisms for people's fears and anxieties um that allow them hmm. to uh act out what they can't address um maybe because they can't get therapy <laughs> or maybe because then yeah. i think that i uh, my
0: dad was a bit of well okay so my dad was an author among other things for the louisiana Mound society newsletter which was a little <laughs> bit of a fringe uh you know, like the it was a newsletter that wasn't shiny or stapled. I mean, you know what I mean? Yep. It was just paper that you'd get in the mail. It's <laughs> like uh and and uh, so I mean I think back then in the 80s and 90s, these conspiracy people were uh, you know, I, I mean for one thing, not to generalize, but I mean I I don't know if my dad, I know he had dyslexia and he was extremely intelligent. His mother was had borderline schizophrenia so and he and my dad was very like psychic and into all these things and astral things and so from a medical you know uh purely scientific rational point of view he might have had a touch of the schizophrenia as well and so he gravitated toward these the the conspiracy theories but then with the advent of the internet these guys had this. I hate to keep using the word orgasm, but you know, like, uh, like they, they found <laughs> they found thousands of other people that were just enough. like themselves in the AOL instant messenger chat rooms in 1995, and ever since then, it's just been a party, and it just keeps growing and oh. and, and and becoming a, a giant
1: rave around the world. Yeah, I mean, very care? I mean, Edward, do you care to tell Edward about? I mean, sorry. Um, Edward, do you care to tell Barry about any of your experiences with the early Anon community? With
0: the early no, I mean I I only interviewed the one guy. Okay. He he it's episode something rather in the forties, Jonathan Sims. Um, he was an Uber passenger, mm-hmm. so it was really just a coincidence. And everything I know about him was in the interview.
2: Wow, yeah, I'll check it out.
0: Yeah, he he was one of the instrumental guys in the beginning when they were going up against Scientology, and uh, uh, yeah, and among other things, he created their aesthetic of like the Max Headroom with the uh, with the the Guy Fox mask, you know, kind of thing. And uh, it, it, some of the early videos were his, and they were anonymous at the time, but then they became the inspiration for that show, Mr. Robot. They had like a similar yeah. thing. And, uh, and then so, so after five or six years, he was able to come out because the Church of Scientology actually weakened as a result of the work they did and, and, and stopped being so threatening. And, and uh, so he was actually able to come out and admit that he was the one doing it. And, uh, and he talked all about it on, on the podcast. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't say everything he did, but he said uh, some of the conversations that he had because what what was interesting to him when he was my Uber passenger, because he he, uh, <laughs> you know he he, he he we just started talking. What do you do? Oh, this and that. Yoga podcast. Oh, what do you, you know? And then uh, before you know it, um, <laughs> I don't know uh, what was I talking <laughs> about. So
1: anyway, um, just so are we, you stoned this morning as well? Yeah, I'm a little bit oh, high. Yeah. Actually, it's nighttime oh, for me.
2: Oh yes, yeah. um, just so we know. What are yeah. you on right
1: now? Are you sharing the experience?
2: Uh, no, I'm because I have got some work to do, so I, I actually need to uh, go. In <laughs> just to let you know. Um, yeah. Well, what, sure, what should
0: we uh, what should we wrap up with, Robbie?
1: Um, this is my dying question: How do we use what we know about linguistics and memetics to create? Uh, disinformation campaign to try to convert folks instead of having to fight them off?
2: Well, I think um, hmm, that's an interesting question. Have you ever read that um, Richard Rorty book? um, What's it called? Solidarity? uh, uh, Anyway, there's a Richard Rorty, the philosopher um, talks a lot Uh about the whole world of language and how, firstly, that there are always periods in time when uh, the way we talk is eclipsed by another way of speaking, you know, so the sort of mechanical age gets eclipsed by, or the medieval world gets eclipsed by uh, the mechanical world and we get a whole new kind of way of thinking about the nature of uh, reality. And and uh, and he also goes on to talk about the ways in which um, he he talks about um, the role of poets in creating new ways of speaking about things. Mm. I think one of the challenges to me is that I don't think I don't think you can argue with people who don't want to I don't think you can converse with people I'll say that I don't think you converse can converse with people who don't want to hear what you have to say and one of the challenges with dogmatic people whether it's you know fundamentalist Christians or fundamentalist anything fundamentalist vegans (laughs) you know what Mm, i mean or fundamentalist meat eaters Mm. they 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 don't want to hear they just want to uh shout you down or or whatever and it's very easy to get caught up in an endless and repetitive back and forth of arguing positions Mm. and i think the challenge is we have to find new ways of speaking about both old ideas and new possibilities and I think the great challenge is to find new pathways for conversing about things that because uh, Rorty's point is that when you don't answer the old questions or you don't respond with the old answers you disempower the conversation because people don't know about Respond when you don't say what they expect you to say. So when you don't come back with, you know, uh, what they would say would be, you know, a left-wing liberal response to their right-wing screed, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. But you actually <laughs> uh, you offer a different pathway. It creates this. Uh, you 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 end that old conversation. It just can't go on. Right. And I and I think a lot of people. That they somehow think they can convince someone. You know, there's, there's very little possibility of convincing someone who trades in either extreme dogma or conspiracy theory about an alternative reality. It's just not conceptually possible for them. But maybe. So, what's the alternative
1: think, of, of fighting those people in the street? Them?
2: Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I also wouldn't. I don't think. I, th- I also do think that this is a time for um, action, and I don't think we can afford to be passive. But I'm not so sure mm. that um, fighting in the streets is going to get us there anyway.
0: I have an idea. Yeah. Um, I'd uh, I it. think that sports, like football and any old sport, cricket. It's kind of like, I mean, when when India goes up against Pakistan, you know, or or, or England for that matter, the, people are cheering and there's something underneath that beyond just watching a bunch of sweaty guys play a game. Yeah. And I think that it replaces war in a way. It replaces the tribal, uh, mass tribal instinct toward war. And so I think that we need to create some sports teams of uh, of political... <laughs> you know like fascist versus uh, you know antifa or you know get these get get the uh, i think it well, was I, it was here's the ancient Greek it, it, idea here's the
2: one thing i i can say really quickly Rob is I don't think that um, sloganeering is gonna solve anything <laughs> and I and I think um I mean, again, it's complex. I, I, you know, there's there aren't any easy answers. And I do think that um, protest needs to be made. Whether it's fighting in the street is, is the answer. I don't know. But maybe forming protective cordons and barriers around people and taking the hits. I don't know. But, um, yeah.
1: That's how it starts. The Black Bloc anarchists, we're not, and I say we because I own that label, sure. um, uh, just so if people want to look me up, and I'm willing to go, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, my fascist stalkers, but yeah. um, that's, that's what we started. We didn't start out as a group that wanted to fight people. We started oh, sure. out as a group,
2: yeah. was- I, I get that.
1: and we were black so people would know who we were,
2: you know? Yeah, no, I I mean, I, I, I hear you, I, I, and I also know you. I know that you're not just looking for a fight, to have a fight, that, that really the opposite is true. I just think that um, we can, and, and we can only work, we can only work in the ways, I mean, I do think we have to sort of work locally as well. There is no big picture resolve to this at the moment, because there are so many moving parts that, have to come into place. We have to take it. I mean I hate to say it, but I I really think we have to take it sort of one step at a time, one one issue, one moment at a time, and see what we can do in that particular moment that um fosters.
1: I have a perfect, I have a perfect example that we can end on.
2: A a concrete
1: tangible example. Uh, One thing I've learned about here in Alaska is that they have socialized resources for every log and drop of oil that is sold, everybody in Alaska gets a check. But these are the same people who think that socialists are demons and demon possessed hippies, but yeah. they're doing socialism with their resources. Yeah. And, and I think if we can extract the issues from the labels and just talk about yeah. it in purely pragmatic, almost numerical terms, I yeah. think that might be a starting point for just making it sane. No, to, you be know.
2: Honest. to be honest, that's royalty's point if you go, oh, well, that's socialism, you've already you've already lit a fire. You don't have to say it's socialism. You can know it's right. Socialism. You can just go, yeah, that's a good way to live. We should do more of that. oh Nice. Anyway, I, I hate to cut everybody off because oh no,. it was it's been delightful. No, that's a good end. Very. <laughs> <Anyway, it's
1: great laughs> well, I wish I wish I could give you. I wish I could give you a big hug you get.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. It was very nice meeting you. All right, love you, brother. I love you too, mate. Bye. Bye.
1: Here's a um, I love it. His- I'm enamored of his particular brand of English accent. I mean, it just, you can tell he spent decades around British rockers, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, because there's generational accents. Like uh, if you look at old movies from black and white New York, there's like, yeah, see? Like, did people actually
1: talk like that?
0: (laughs) Is it just for TV? Did he he
1: tell, (laughs) before I got on the horn with you, did he tell you about his days with ACDC? A little
0: bit. Yeah, we just sort of covered it you know, briefly, he, he talked about how it was a different world, different time, you know, but then there was some overlap between that and being a rector. And then uh, I was geeking out about how the Dionysian um, ecclesia, the, the early community, the, the, the ritual community evolved into both ACDC and the, the church. <laughs> but he, he didn't seem to, I don't know if he was very impressed. <laughs>
1: I can't, I can't wait to hear that. That sounds like brilliant stuff. Well, I, I think
0: at that point you were, you, we were trying to get you on, on there. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know what was, oh, I'll have to listen to it to see how it went. Exactly.
1: That's a trip that we were working on such disparate. So it's tomorrow there compared to me and I'm yesterday to you. Yeah, very, it's it's is very yesterday to me or is he somewhere at the other end of the day? Right now
0: it's for me, it's midnight on the 24th for him. It's uh mm-hmm. It's the 23rd at around 6 p.m. And for you, it's what, uh, 11 a.m.? So 11, something like that? Yeah, it's 1042. Yeah. <laughs> so we're covering half the world. We, we made a triangle. Um, uh-huh. not, it, it's sort of a uh, not an equilateral triangle. I don't know if it's a right triangle, but, uh, you know, something like that. Not exactly 90 degrees,
1: I'm sure. It is kind of cool that I could uh, dive headfirst into a jackalood and wilderness experience up here and still get to talk to my friends (laughs) on the different corners of the globe. Uh, Before, it would have been like, I'll talk to you in a year. When I get back, we'll send a message by barge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Here, let's do an experiment here. I'm going to flip on my uh, video. Are you there?
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: this will be <laughs> on the you YouTube. Are. This is going to go on YouTube. Let me see if
1: I can flip mine on. Yeah. Yeah. This
0: will be on the YouTube version of the episode. Me... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's recording. So uh,
1: I hope I retain signal. There's uh, the misty, some of the misty mountains behind me, and it's amazing. Wow. Like a lot of the cool pictures I took. We're within two miles of this property because up there it can be completely snowing and look like, like a snowman movie. And then down in the de- in the valley where the peat bugs are, mm. it's just like this dank rainforest with these exotic, alien-like mushrooms. It's <laughs> amazing
0: Sounds place. like you're on mushrooms. <laughs> The, the most
1: beautiful uh, biome I've ever experienced.
0: The 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 connection was weird. So when you were talking about um, mushrooms, you were saying
1: <laughs> I am just a level below.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that does sound good. I wish I had some mushrooms up here because uh, these little fairy trails that go down through the ravine. Mm. The entire forest floor is coated with like. 12 inches of thick micro ferns mm. and every little bump and mound and tree stuff is just completely carpeted so mm. you can literally take off your shoes and run across it going like a toddler it is an amazing place and i wish i had some much to do that wow <laughs> how fun but hashish was was pretty was pretty good to have <laughs> hmm. that's good it seems to great hashish <laughs> uh, so we're, hey, we're... Here's the who's the god hmm? Who's the god or goddess of the fire? Uh, the heart. Well, there's
0: uh there's Ag- Agni. Uh Agni in the the Rig Veda, the very beginning of the Rig Veda, the very oldest of the Vedas, the first thing it says is, Oh Agni, you know, you are the fire. I, I don't have it memorized, but it's like, you know, this beautiful poetry about, you know, you heat our food and <laughs> uh, and shit, and 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 you you were the energy in our blood too, like. Like yeah. it's like it's like th- this very primal like whoa wow and there's actually something they say oh gosh um, can you follow uh, it? there's something I they say read the it
1: of, what I want to hear, hear that
0: oh I can't I can't hear what you're saying hmm maybe we should go back to audio.
1: well oh, no. let's
0: see here okay yeah maybe there it we use, go uses too much bandwidth to do the video <laughs> exactly so yeah.
1: what were you saying the agni i think i've got that right i hope I do. if you if you have it handy i would love to hear the whole thing sure one moment i tell you, though, this rarefied air up here is, mm-hmm. uh, is like a drug in its own right. Standing up on the rim of this mountain and breathing in this fog coming off of the bay and mixing with the pine and the moss and the peat,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it is, it's the, uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, four-sided breathing up on the rim of that hill, and that has been completely euphoric in its own right. Nice. Oh,
2: um...
0: Okay, you ready for Agni? (laughs) Agni. Let's hear more of Agni. All right. Oh, I thought that was the beginning of it, and it it, it tricked me. It tricked me. It's like, okay, get to it.
1: Why are you like
0: this? Okay, here we go. Here we go. We're almost there. It's going to happen. It's going to happen.
1: The suspense is killing me.
0: Okay, okay. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. I glorify Agni, the high priest of the sacrifice, the divine, the ministrant, the who presents the oblation, the ob- oblation to the gods, and is the possessor of great wealth, may that Agni, who is to be celebrated by both ancient and modern sages, conduct the gods hither. So they, I love when they're talking about ancient. This is five thousand years ago. They're talking about ancient, you know. Um, five thousand, isn't it? The Rigveda. It's pretty old. Maybe three thousand. Yeah, I.
1: I i know i I think the red beta is i think it's pushing up there like some people say the original stories in terms of imagery can be traced back to at least 10. it's just interesting when they talk
0: about ancient times like what are they talking about you know what i mean like
1: uh, (laughs) yeah that's it i think
0: and then okay through, through agni the worshiper obtains that influence which increases day by day which is the source of fame and the multiplier of mankind Agni, the unobstructed sacrifice of which you are on every side, the protector, assuredly reaches the gods. May Agni, the presenter of oblations, the attainer of knowledge, he who is true, renowned, and divine, come hither with the gods. Whatever good you may, Agni, bestow upon the giver of the oblation, that verily Anjuras shall revert to you." We approach you, Agni, with reverential homage in our thoughts daily, both morning and evening. You, the radiant, the protector of sacrifices, the constant illuminator of truth, increasing in your own dwelling. Agni, be to us easy of excess, as is a father to his son. Be ever present with us for our good. Uh, Amen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember that being more fiery. But <laughs> apparently Agni is a god of, god of fire. So the, uh, that's the very beginning of the first of the Vedas, the oldest of the Vedas. Is, is well, that
1: was beautiful, though. Yeah, a like name. Nice. That felt almost like an amen point. His like wife crazy. is... Hey,
0: I wish I could remember. I only remember it in the Japanese, uh, you know, how they they pieced together the Japanese uh, uh, alphabet back in the 800s based on Sanskrit in... Uh, no, what, Nara? what no yeah, yeah it was a wild time there was this uh gosh an emperor <laughs> that there was a if i recall correctly that you know how it is with youtube you don't retain it you only retain half of it there was an emperor <laughs> and uh, he, and the people were like i don't know about this emperor you know i don't think that the buddhist god likes this emperor or whatever you know how people wear back like in the 800s and so they found an Indian guy, of course. Who, like an Indian guy who, who was like a scholar, who was like a Buddhist scholar. And they were like, dude, you are Indian and you're Buddhist, you're coming with us and you're meeting the emperor because you're going to be our saint. You know, you're, it, it's, it's sort of like the Theosophical Society did with Ramakrishna. Um, and so, so he- came <laughs> Oh, and, that's interesting. Yeah. What was his <laughs> name? So, oh god i wish i knew i i have it written down somewhere i think um and so he is bodhi something but not bodhi, not the other there's bodhidharma it's not him it's uh anyway yeah there's a few uh, boji sawaka mm-hmm. um sawaka whatever that is they say uh they say sawaka but in the original sanskrit hmm. it's uh it's like a Give giving giving respect to the uh wife of of Agni, and uh, but it, it's come to mean it's come to mean like amen, it's like their version of amen in in Hindi. I mean, in wow. Hindu, they say, you know, for Agni's oh. wife, you know, like at the end of everything. I don't know, <laughs> I'm gonna sound like an ignorant, <laughs> to anybody who actually knows what I'm talking about. <laughs>
1: So That's, that sounded like an arrogant. The mother way of all. To be
0: humble, I'm like, for the people who actually know what I'm <laughs> talking about, I'm going to sound like a big But being arrogant and humble at the you, same you time. You
1: wear them both well. You wear them both well, my brother. <laughs> thank you. Thank
0: you. Oh my gosh.
1: Um. So it's basically saying thank you to the mother of all, isn't it?
0: Yes, yeah, something like that.
1: I because it's the wife, it's a, if it's the wife of God, it's the mother of us. Well, I've got to work out how
0: it's all connected. I don't think they have such a. I, Agni's not the one god that connects all gods. I don't think. There's certain philosophies. There's six orthodox philosophies, and there's six unorthodox philosophies. And of course, I'm sure there's more than six unorthodox philosophies in India. Um, the the this one of the six is the idea that I think everybody who's listened to a lot of Alan Watts assumes that is what everybody in India thinks, which is the uh, the whole, everything, huh. everything is one, and it's non-dual, or everything is non-dual, and right. we're the gods, and Shiva is me, and I'm Shiva, and everything, you know, and that's been, I mean, I, mean, I don't mean to belittle it, that's a very beautiful point of view, and uh, Sri Ramakrishna and a few others have kind of um, emphasized that, and then of course in the West, you know, they love it. The, the new age uh, westerner loves that point of view. Um, but of course there's a lot of other, you know, sort of more conservative, more traditional, more, you know, like with Christianity, there's like different, there's the the there's the Episcopal and there's the uh, traditional Catholic and the traditional Greek Orthodox and, you know, whatever. Um, oh. Same with Judaism, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of shades of, of Hindu just like that, I think. From what i've observed yeah i guess
1: being on the being on the ground i guess you've seen those different kind of manifestations or different denominations or whatever well yeah
0: like when you have hindus defending muslims from other hindus it's interesting like it's it's more complicated than uh than people in the west kind of you know it's sort of cartoonish hindu versus muslim and it's like no there's some Hindus that hate the Muslims and then the Hindus that hate the Hindus who hate the Muslims. Or, you know, the, the, the Hindus who are uh, think of India as a, a secular, um, diverse uh, country, you know, like or an, an, a country that embraces diversity both mm-hmm. historically and in the present, which is, you know, how it got so diverse to begin with. Um, you know that moving forward maybe we shouldn't be like murdering Muslims you know like what a concept and um and then there's the ones that think oh well Gandhi let too many Muslims stay here he should have kicked them all out or, or whatever and you know um, and it's weird to like meet them and find out that they're your yoga instructor you know I mean it's like it, it, it's like I guess it's oh. just as uncomfortable. <laughs> huh. It'd be like the equivalent of going to a yoga class in uh, the West and finding out that they're a Trump supporter.
1: I mean, but here it's actually normal. I mean, here it's, it's- kind of like it's kind of like me coming up to Alaska and finding out that my host mom is like <laughs> basically the head of the Sarah Palin fan club and, <laughs> and going out to Joshua Tree to this awesome well, it's body, Alaska and celebrities only after are being there, you're finding out that the, the main guy voted for him. You know, um, yeah. In a weird way, nature mm. seems to be a good a good place to bring people together because who doesn't like nature? You know. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's the way like I think it's the way that the whole discourse is packaged like environmentalist liberals versus uh, plucky hard-working capitalist maybe that yeah just, it's interesting yeah i mean i i because I, I can kind of see it from there i'm sure I mean, you okay. can hmm? i've been i've been obsessing on this question having been a grad a grad student basically Which question? of. philosophy uh, how to how to alter the discourse or how to create the most non-violent possible discourse between mm. these these groups you know that's been my Kind of burning question. Gosh, but uh, I, I think, like Barry said, we'll we'll kind of come to pragmatic solutions one at a time, probably. Just like, just like the uh, socialism question up here, where everybody hates socialism, but everybody gets a government check for their socialized resources. Uh, you know, it's weird. It's just like pass cause... the pass the legislation without labeling it.
0: Like the the core of the, the you know the Trump people were, they they were really in a cult mentality where the uh, you know the, the the people who got Biden in were just like uh, happened to outnumber them you know, but they they weren't like Biden. There's not a Biden cult you know, like uh, it's just you know okay let's bring back the republic. But then so, it, so it's, there, it's like the Republic versus Caesar or something like, um, you know, I mean, that back and forth, uh, at least it seems that way to me, because like I if if the people on the right criticize Biden and criticize, you know, of course, yeah, no, he is a shit. Of course, he's a politician. Of course, he's bombing Syria, you know, like, you know, like I don't defend bombing Syria, of course, but I, I'm happy that it's not President Trump. You know, um, I don't know if maybe he bombed Syria fewer times, or, or I don't know. You know, it seemed to me that he wasn't bombing a lot at first. But then he did a little bit later on. But
1: um, yeah, yeah, what, what I mean. is it about presidents that makes them turn so bomby?
0: They change <laughs> as soon as they become president. I think Biden didn't have to change as much because he already kind of knew he had seen behind the curtain already. But uh, definitely, when Obama, he changed from his inauguration to like a few days later, he, yeah, his whole set of priorities and his whole concept of how the world works, I think changed, Uh, like they, but they don't tell you, it's weird, they let people run for president not knowing these big secrets. And then once they're president, then they find out, you know, about the aliens and about whatever the hell else they find out, I don't even know. Um, it's interesting. The, some of those interviews with Bill Clinton on, uh, like Arsenio Hall or whatever, like uh, where he kind of confronts him about Area 51, and it's kind of like, what? Why won't he? Hmm. He's, you know, avoiding the question with a joke every time. Is it's, it's just okay? he's just going to do that, or is he really hiding something? I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting stuff.
1: It has been. It has been interesting to see commentators actually asking the hard questions and calling uh certain people to tasks on the facts on air um and it's just it's so sad to see how quickly those same people hang up once they're actually shown facts in the same way that if you actually try to talk to somebody at a at a trump rally Mm. they'll just all start chanting usa usa instead of yeah because it's tribal
0: it's not a it's not actually a it's not a conversation it's not a debate really it's just uh yeah, like a shouting match or uh, some kind Gosh. of some kind of really old. This is a mammalian um, tribal thing. I don't know.
1: All right, brother. Well, I've got to I've got to go and, and do a little projects here, and uh, uh, the lady's going to need the cabin here pretty soon. All uh, right. Well, it's good hearing from you. Virtual hugs to you.
0: Yeah, and that was fun. Thanks for bringing him on.
1: All right, much love, man. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, you too. Well, uh, thank you very much, Barry Taylor, for sharing this. Yeah, uh, it was a good conversation. I, I you know, I, I hope we do a repeat of this, a part two. We can all kind of uh, mull over some of the ideas, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see about that uh, later on. So thank you as always, I mean, you know, when, when you are the co-host, Robbie, for being my co-host tonight, and thank you to Susumu Ueda, as well as his father, and the other monks at Jofukuin Temple on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing right now. Thank you uh, to Camille and Kennerly for the harp introduction and outro, the intro and outro to the episode. And special thanks to you, the esoteric nerd, listening to this podcast. Go forth in love, truth, and knowledge with the blessings of Yeshua, Yehovah, until we meet again.